Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am your co-host Matt Larson along with Cricket Lou. And here we are, another episode, mere weeks after our previous episode was published. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's only been weeks since our first episode, too, if you want to count large well, numbers of weeks. <laughs> but you know what? We've been doing this since it was late 2008, if I am not mistaken. Is that right? Can you, can you believe it? Wow. Let me, let me look on the internets and see what the first... Uh, and, and I can tell, uh, I can tell our legion listeners the, the story for why it is that I, that I know this. Let's see. Yes, December 2008 on the, on the blog is the first episode one, December 20th. Wow. Anyway. It's a and day, the reason it's I, day before our anniversary. <laughs> that, uh, my, uh, my anniversary and Paige's anniversary. <laughs> so the, the reason uh, that, I, that I know this is because, uh, as, as you know, I set up WordPress on the uh, virtual machine that we use for Ask Mr. DNS, and I set it up in late 2008, and then, and then I just sort of left it. So I only recently <laughs> upgraded from WordPress 2.7 to 3.5. So even if you don't follow WordPress version numbers, and obviously I don't, uh, that's still a pretty big jump. Yes, but we're all current now for the next we, couple weeks, I guess, until they come out with 3.5.1. <laughs> I guess, but the, the upgrade in place is really slick. The up, upgrading in place and installing plugins, and you know, really, they really... They've done a lot to it in the four years since we, <laughs> since I last looked at it. As one would hope. <laughs> but see, I think the advantage is after you know after that much time with such an old version of WordPress, I figure the uh, you know the script kitties were just doing the admin on our machine. Right. You know exactly. <laughs> so. All right. Well, if we uh, if we open the uh, electronic mailbag, uh, we do have a couple of questions. Yes. Uh, All right. Into the, the mailbag. Yeah, there we go. This so the thing about actually a when property we, tax bill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so the, the thing about uh, when we release an episode is then people listen and they send us questions. So there's sort of it's reinforcement for good or for bad. Yeah. Um, so a guy named Joe, and we don't know anything else about Joe except that he doesn't want spam based on his return address, mm. and he's a, a, he's a Roadrunner subscriber. But anyway. Um, Joe asks uh, asks us, he says he really enjoys the show, and he tries to come up with a question that would benefit the audience. So we thank you for that. Uh, and he asks, when might one implement conditional forwarders versus subdomains or vice versa? Could you explain how a query is answered for a client using the two methods? And then he says, thank you, which is very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. And it's one that comes up a lot, I think, in sort of enterprise uh, DNS architectures. So, for example, if you've got a, a system where you have a bunch of recursive name servers and maybe they have to do something special, consult a special group of name servers to resolve certain domain names because um, the company has a direct connection to a business partner or, um, you know, maybe another another company that they recently merged with, that, that sort of thing. Um, so we, we see this a lot at Infobox, as a matter of fact. But the difference between conditional forwarding and, and um, stub zones is pretty subtle, really. And what, what I try to, to make sure that people realize is that uh, is sort of when one takes effect and also uh, how broadly one versus the other is visible, if that 
makes any sense. So uh, a conditional forwarding rule basically says uh, on a, a particular name server, if that name server is handling a query that ends in a particular domain name, it's a pattern match. Uh, it, it is exactly a pattern match. It's not, it's in this zone uh, because it really has no idea, right? Uh, there could be delegation below the, the domain name that you're talking about that would, it would not be aware of. But let's say you have, for example, uh, zone foo.example uh, type forward and then forwarders and a list of IP addresses of those forwarders on a, on a bind name server. Basically, that says if you're handling any query that ends in foo.example, then you want to send it to the IP addresses in that list. Um, and, and how those IP addresses are dealt with can vary depending on the version of bind that you're dealing with, whether you consult them in the order in which they're listed or whether you consult them uh, you know, according to round trip time or, or what have you. But basically you're saying uh, instead of using the normal uh, root name server down resolution algorithm, uh, use these name servers instead and uh, wait for a response, and when you get the response back, you can send that back to the original querier. Um, right, and you, that is a recursive query that the that the uh, name server sends. Exactly, and that's really important. That it's it, it's only going to apply to recursive queries. If somebody uh, like another name server sends the name server with that conditional forwarding rule, a non-recursive query, well, that that conditional forwarding rule uh, or the forward zone is going to have no effect whatsoever. Yeah, I guess so. So you, you would get a referral that, as if it weren't even there, just whatever happens to be in the cache. Right, exactly. So so effectively, to another name server, that uh, forward zone or conditional forwarding rule, which are basically synonymous, uh, it's basically invisible. Um, whereas with a stub zone, a stub zone is, is kind of a different animal, and it can, in fact, be visible off of the name server. Um, stub zones... Uh, you'll remember, Matt, were actually originally designed to help track delegation. Um, the reason that you'd use one is because you were running, say, hp.com, like I used to run, and we used to run, and uh, you wanted to be able to automatically track changes to some, uh, to some delegation below hp.com, like, for example, uh, coop.hp.com, which was the Cupertino uh, site's subdomain. And the way that we would handle that for the most part was to have somebody actually uh, who was responsible for the coop.hp.com subdomain send us email every time they changed their list of name servers or the IP address of one or more name servers, right? And then we would just sort of plug that information into the zone data file for hp.com. Yeah, I recall it was scripted. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we, we, we had it, I think, pretty well nailed down, but it, it was far from automatic. Um, yeah, did... I don't ever, when I was running it, I don't think we actually used stub zones, right? You're only using that as an example of where one could use yeah, it, Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Uh, the idea of a stub zone was that you could, you could use uh, a stub zone definition on the primary hp.com name server for uh, cup.hp.com, and you could say, hey, uh, I want uh, this name server to act as a stub for coop.hp.com. I want it to automatically um, query this IP address or these IP addresses for changes to the list of NS records for coop.hp.com uh, or changes to their, their associated IP addresses and automatically sort of pull those up into the hp.com zone as delegation. And that would just sort of work nicely. Um, and, and it did actually work for, for some time. 
and then along came by nine. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, well, I was just about to ask, does it still work that way? It does not because by I nine, would be surprised if it does. Yeah, yeah. By nine, all of a sudden said, Hey, no, there's a, there's sort of a hard, um, delineation between zone boundaries. And if I'm stub for coop.hp.com, I'm, I'm never going to pull NS records from coop.hp.com into hp.com, uh, as delegation information. Um, and what that means is that while that that stub zone might work okay on the primary hp.com name server, uh, a secondary hp.com name server, which would only get the contents of hp.com via zone transfer, would never get those coop.hp.com NS records in the zone transfer. So uh, you either had to configure all of your authoritative name servers for hp.com as stubs for coop.hp.com or just sort of throw in the towel and give up on the idea. Um, but the one place where stub zones were still useful um, was the situation where you had to, to sort of short circuit the normal uh, root down resolution and say, well, actually, if you're resolving something uh, in, for example, foo.example or below, I want you to start with this particular set of name servers um, you know, listed in these NS records that you can get from you know, maybe those same name servers IP addresses. Uh, and so that's really what we ended up using stub zones for, for the most part, was to be able to say, uh, okay, instead of starting at the roots and working your way down, get the list of NS records from this list of uh, IP addresses that's done not via zone transfer, actually, but via discrete queries, uh, and then use those as a starting point for resolution for these particular domain names. And again, it's a, a pattern match. It ends with this particular domain name. Right. So your point about it being subtle is is really well taken because in the foo.example case, you really can get pretty much the exact same behavior two different ways, both with conditional forwarding and with uh, a stub zone. Right, right. The, the, one of the differences is, of course, that, that somebody could query your name server, the name server that had that stub zone configured, and could learn those NS records from it. So, uh, you know, you want to you make sure that that's, that's the behavior that you desire, right? That you want that stuff to be visible outside just your recursive name server. Right. Now, so this, this sort of gets even more inside baseball, but there's also, uh, there's forwarding and then there's, there's the no forward. You're going to have to remind me how that syntax works, but you can combine stub with that, right? You can say, I want to forward everything to this other server, except for these certain pattern match domains. And then you could be a stub for them as well to send queries off in another direction. Is that, do I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, you are. So it's a, it's a kind of a funny, a funny interaction. Um, normally, if you have global forwarders set up for a name server, then um, the forwarders will sort of, you know, take over anytime uh, you're you're dealing with a query that you can't answer locally. And so we'd sometimes use a combination of of uh, stub zones and no forwarding, which is basically, it's, 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 again, even more subtle. It's an empty forwarders list. So within the stub zone, you say, um, you know, you say forwarders and then just open curly brace, close curly brace, semicolon. Yeah. Um, I remember a rather disturbing syntax. Yes, exactly. I, I remember hearing that from, I think it was, it was Paul Vixie and, and, and saying, Oh, that's, that's, that's terrible and pathological. <laughs> um, but the reason you do that is because um, you've got forwarding set up, and you know if you if you're 
processing a query for, say, a subzone of foo.example, something you learn uh, via that uh, conditional forwarding is in a, a, a subzone of foo.example, then you, uh, you, know, you want to be able to, to deal with that. You want to be able to answer that um, not using the forwarders, but by working your way down from the list of NS records you got from the name servers you designated. Right. In, in which case, uh, so so the no forwarding is an exception to the global forwarding. It basically says, don't forward this pattern match. You know, if you see, so this recursive server, you should send everything to this other recursive server, like maybe one that has external visi visibility because you don't. And then you could have uh, a zone, let's say it's a zone of type forward, right? Yeah, I, th I think so. Although uh, often you you also use empty forwarders lists with with zones of, a stub, of type. Right? Uh, well, well, zones of type um, master or type slave too. Right. Yeah. So so basically, uh, what you're saying, I guess, what I was trying to say is, we, you basically say don't forward, don't apply the global forwarding if it pattern matches this. Do normal resolution. Exactly. And then and then stub is a way to pull in. NS records to uh, direct that normal resolution. Yes, that's exactly right. Yep, yep. So it is a it is it is a pretty pretty subtle distinction, but it's it, it can be useful. It it, it really can be uh, a handy thing to to use again if you're dealing with sort of a complicated, uh, usually enterprise uh, name resolution system. Well, and it's so much better than it was. I guess we have to really go back to the bad old days of early bind eight before they had this conditional forwarding stuff. I don't remember when it was added, 8.2 or 8.3 maybe. Yeah, I, th uh, I think that's that's dead on. I think it was like 8.2. But before that, there was only global forwarding, and the only way to stop it, I seem to recall, was you had to be authoritative for a zone because you either, as you said this a moment ago, you either could answer directly or the forwarding, the global forwarding took over, and that none of this conditional business at all. Right, and even if you were, even if you were authoritative for, say, a parent zone like hp.com, um, That's right. If hp.com yes. contained delegation to like coop.hp.com and you were not authoritative for coop.hp.com, if you received a query for coop.hp.com, you'd forward it. Right. Uh, and presumably your forwarder was, you know, some, some you know, uh, a big box out there on the DMZ designed to resolve internet domain names for you, whereas coop.hp.com was inside your enterprise network. <laughs> so that wasn't really what you wanted to do. Um, I got, I, I just remember... Well, this was around the time. Uh, well, by the time we were consulting with Acme Byte and Wire, it was it was after after the this had already been uh, you know out in the wild for a while. But I just remember it was it was so much nicer building uh, enterprise setups, DNS architectures with conditional forwarding as a tool in your tool chest. Before that, it was really hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was it was a real godsend. The, the one thing that we might also mention, though, is that the behavior of the Microsoft DNS server is actually different from the behavior of Bind in that uh, a Microsoft DNS server, when configured with global forwarder, uh, one or more global forwarders, and also um, you know authoritative for some zone that contains delegation to zones that it's not authoritative for, will actually follow the delegation before using the forwarders. So it's the opposite no. behavior from Bind. I seem to recall that's uh, configurable, though, isn't it? Maybe with a horrible registry change that you can't <laughs> I make. From... I think you may be right that there's some some registry setting that you can you can change on the Microsoft DNS server to get it to do the opposite. But that's the default behavior. Yeah. 
Well, that's more than probably anyone ever wanted to know. In, in, t- in typical Ask Mr. DNS podcast fashion, we we crushed the question long past where we should probably have stopped. Yes, as is our want. <laughs> well, shall we uh, go on to the the first postscript in uh, in Joe's question? Sure. We'll we'll say Joe in in double quotes, right? Uh, if that is your name, if that Joe. is your name, Joe. Uh, Joe says. Uh, if you're looking for topics, a discussion of dig, its power and its gotchas, uh, for example, using at name server with the plus trace flags, both set, which one takes precedence, would probably benefit most, especially the new administrators to DNS. So we should have probably, if you were going to read that parenthetical aside about <laughs> at name server versus plus trace, we should have had we should have figured out the answer first. I don't know. Yeah, um, the I mean plus trace is actually a very a very useful option. Though we should explain that plus trace itself um, basically allows um, dig to sort of mimic the behavior of a recursive name server, and you specify a query like uh, I want to look up the A records for www.foo.example. And it'll start at the root name server and you know ask that uh, ask that query non-recursively and receive a referral and then pick out one of the name servers in the referral and we'll send the same non-recursive query to one of those um, until it eventually gets the answer, which is it, it can be very instructive if you're trying to sort of figure out um, what's you know what ought to be going on on your uh, in, in your DNS system. Yeah, well. A quick consulting of the man page. I can't immediately see it in real time here. That, about was, that was my tap dancing to try to give you enough time to look it up. <laughs> well, and I tried, and I, I, I don't see. So once again, we're going to have listeners screaming at their their podcast player. Um, right, right. <laughs> yeah, see, All 10 of them. I, yeah. I I don't, personally, I don't don't use plus trace very much. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just... Well, probably do. because you you've got a pretty good grasp of what, you know, what a recursive name server is going to do. So, uh, right. And yeah, uh, and, you know, I know where the zone boundaries are and kind of know, know what I want to ask typically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at the output of dig dash H at all the, uh, multitude of command line options to sort of try and see which ones are worth, uh, are worth talking about. Um, one of the basic things that I always liked about dig was the fact that, you could you could specify the three basic arguments: the name server to query, the the type of, of record to look up, and also um, the domain name to look up in any order because uh, they were sort of disjoint. The, the name server's name or IP address followed the commercial at sign, and uh, you probably wouldn't be using a domain name that overlapped at all with a, a type mnemonic. Right. Yeah. That that is like. Um... What else? Dig plus short. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's nice. That that uh, that gives you l- just the short form of an answer. Um, so like like if you do dig plus short and the result is an A record, you get just an IP address. Right. The one thing it, that won't do is I don't know if I don't think it pulls anything out of anywhere except the answer section. So you can't do dig plus short on a non-recursive query that's going to generate a referral right. and get meaningful output. Right. So that's where you have to you have to use these other uh, options. So there's a bunch of them that control the display of the various comments and sections of the packet. So like you can say, 
uh, you know, dig plus uh, no additional if you don't want to see the additional section. Um, and there's a dig plus all that makes makes everything display. That's sort of the default. So what you can do is you can say dig plus all, and then you could start saying, uh, you know, dig plus uh, no comments to, to start shutting things off uh, section section by section. It is interesting that it's plus no comments and not minus comments. Yes. <laughs> so, or actually, wait. Uh, no, what I said, dig, you wouldn't do dig plus all because you get that by default. Yeah, I you guess could you just say dig plus no comments. And yeah. But I, let's see, you can say, you, what you can say is you can say dig plus no all to, to shut off everything and then start turning them back on. That's what I was meant to say. Mm, so, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. so then you could say dig plus no all, but dig plus answer to get, or in the referral case, you could say then dig plus authority and it would show only the authority section. Uh, let's see. Um, all this stuff that I don't use, dig plus DNSSEC will set the DO bit to say that you understand DNSSEC and that'll get you DNSSEC metadata like signatures and keys and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's not clear, uh, I think overly clear that if you want to turn on EDNS0 in your query to, to, to have the opt record uh, uh, go go in, the, the way to do that is to, to use the buff size argument, dig plus buff size, and you specify uh, a max UDP packet size. Right. And, and by virtue of specifying that, then that, 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 makes edns zero the opt record uh, go into your uh in your query yeah it looks like there's also a plus edns equals uh, where you can set the edns version i wonder if you could just do that and, and not set the buff size. i wonder i bet you can you probably can't i, I have never can. done that i have i have certainly sent set the buff size before um partly to you know to try to uh, induce um you know, problems with with intermediate boxes that might be might be truncating small responses or large responses. Yeah, and of course that's uh, it's almost a useless argument because we only have uh, EDNS version number zero. I I'm afraid we probably can't roll the EDNS version number at this point. Oh, you think it's a lost cause? I wonder. Too many. Things. I remember that when when we were um, doing the the big. DNSSEC redesign that, that led to RFCs 40, 35, uh, or 33, 34, and 35. Uh, oh, shoot, this is dredging up so much ancient ancient history that I don't have uh, an encyclopedic uh, memory for. But, you know, as I'm sure you remember, you know, we changed from the key record to the DNS key record and the sure. SIG record to the RSIG. And um, I guess that was, this is embarrassing that I can't remember what exactly prompted the type code role. I think it was, was it the addition of DS? Shoot. Gosh, that's a good question. It must have been the change, the change uh, of, of format of at least one of the records, right? Or the yeah, or, but, or a wholesale addition of a new record like DS. Yeah, well, what I, what I remember is that we considered various options to get the effect to solve the problem that I can't remember. So that's sort of making this a kind of an unfortunate story. But <laughs> one of the, one of the things we considered was uh, the the solution that we came up with, which is changing all the DNSSEC type codes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was one of the others was rolling the EDNS version number, and mm-hmm. and I don't quite remember why. So this really is kind of a rotten story because <laughs> <laughs> once again people are yelling at their at their at their uh, their iPods or 
<laughs> their computers. <laughs> right. So I don't remember the problem that rolling the EDNS version number was supposed to solve, nor do I remember why rolling the EDNS version number would not solve that problem that I can't remember. But other than that, it's a great story. <laughs> Creeping senility. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every boy, every now and then, I really Sony will have to kind of talk me off the ledge because I'll be convinced that I'm, you know, sort of losing my my marbles. Like you know, can't come up with a can't come up with a word or can't remember a coworker's name. And yeah. Yeah. So she says, "Oh, you're just tired." You know? Okay. <laughs> That's Ho- very kind hopefully. of her. <laughs> yeah. I think Paige would just go, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> too bad for you well that's uh that's probably enough about dig huh yeah yeah all right so we have one uh, one other email so uh yorgos adamopoulos uh, apologies if we're not saying if i'm not saying your name quite right who is a uh uh this is at least the second time he's emailed us maybe maybe more um so he asked kind of a kind of a lighter question, sort of trying to get Mr. DNS's backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, do uh, do either of you still write any code? He actually and, said, do any of you? Maybe he thinks there are more than two of us. <laughs> that's true. Well, maybe maybe it's it's you, me, and Mr. DNS he's, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. he's talking about. Yeah, so do any of you still write any code? And uh, if not, when did you stop if you ever did? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, I... I guess I, I would have to say that I really stopped writing code um, when I, I gave up system administration, which was uh, when I was at HP and after I uh, after I left the host mastership and then um, joined the professional services organization. And well, that was 1993. You're telling <laughs> me you haven't written you haven't written code since then. Well, I, I mean, nothing. Nothing that's going to impress any of our listeners, certainly. And even before then, I mean, really, it was just sort of Perl, uh, you know, in the service of the host mastership, right? It's, you know, little scripts to automate this or that. Um, uh, you know, nothing, nothing that, uh, nothing that, that is worth worth noting to our listeners. How about you? Well, so. I do still write code, but I am far from what I would call a programmer. Like if I had to support myself being a developer, I would starve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do like to keep my my hands dirty and write write a Perl script now and then. I haven't made the jump to Python. All the cool people seem to be using Python, but mm-hmm. I still. And not only do I still use Perl, but I still am kind of stuck on Perl four. Right, right. Procedural I'm, Perl rather than. Oh yeah, I've, I've never I've, yeah. I've never written a module. I mean, I can I know how to use the syntax. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of, you know, I don't I don't like it because it's sort of you know I, I think Perl was fine at version four, but anyway, <laughs> don't need this object oriented stuff. Yeah. And then I still on rare occasions uh, writes write some C. There's a there's a chunk of uh, monitoring code, uh, you know, for research purposes that uh, looks at uh, uh, queries coming into the Comnet name servers and counts various things and outputs results and and uh, so that that's working and that's that's you know it's not it won't make your eyes bleed but the advantage that i have is that i work with people who are really very very good mm-hmm. c and c plus plus programmers i don't do c plus plus either you may you may be detecting a theme regarding oo here <laughs> um so i i have what i call the the c emergency broadcast network you know all all my colleagues know if i'm if I'm programming, because there'll be a stack of books out in my office, and you know the K and R book on the on the desk, and then you know they'll get these IMs from me asking you know some about K 
can you cast this to that or what if you know you know what, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so i don't i don't do that very often but i but it it's nice to it's nice to do it every now and then it's probably a, it's just a horrendous use of my time in the you know in the scheme of things yeah. but yeah but i do like it it's kind of like system administration i uh in the process of uh you know, moving from one virtual machine to the other for the WordPress upgrade, you know, that, that was a few hours. I really didn't mind it. That was kind of nice to, to do that. I guess it's because it's, it's something that uh, it's satisfying to me because it's something is done, right? You know, you, yeah. there's, a, it, there's an immediate effect that you can point to. Well, yeah. for, you, for you immediate, for me not so immediate. I remember the last time I tried to upgrade my FreeBSD box, it took hours and hours and hours. It was just really, really painful. And and primarily, you know, it was my fault, not not FreeBSDs. It was really a matter of not having upgraded it in so long that you know there were lots of steps along the way, and, and you know probably a lot of a lot of book learning that I should have done before I uh, embarked on the project. Well, and this, isn't this on your twelve-year-old PC in the, in your basement? Yes, not is. your basement, your crawl space, right? No, no basement, basement. Oh, okay. But. Yeah, it's it's eventually just going to be replaced by a very very small box <laughs> that has you know orders of magnitude more power. Does it still have the original discs in it? Are they still spinning? Yeah, it sure does. It's like three wow. nine gig discs, three nine gig SCSI discs. And and they've been they've been spinning for twelve years. They have been spinning for twelve years. That's wow! Right. I hope you're backing it up. Yep. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, uh, Yorgos also asks, will there ever be a newer edition of the O'Reilly book? And I presume he means the hit book DNS and bind. Yes. Yes. That's a really good question. I mean, it sort of depends on, on a lot of factors. I'd certainly love to, to write the sixth edition and, you know, I've, I've even started it really because I did the, um, the DNS and bind on IPv6 ebook, which is really just a rev of the IPv6 material in the fifth edition. Uh, and, you know, you and I have a little project to rev some more of the material in the fifth edition, um, which, do. which desperately needed uh, updating. And hopefully, you know, after we knock those couple things down, it'll be that much easier to, to look the, the project of, of updating the book to the sixth edition in the face. But right now it's tough, you know, when you're gainfully employed and, and, you know, knocking down 125,000 miles a year of travel, it's, it's hard to find the time to, to write. Um, well, I guess somebody would argue that you could just write on the plane, but I find that hard to do. Well, I have the best of intentions for plane rides. I'll queue up things that I need to do and take stuff with me, and, and, and instead I end up just you know reading a novel or something. I just I never ever get get enough done. Yeah, yeah. I can write I can write presentations on uh, on planes. And uh, I can do a little bit of editing on planes, and I can answer email on planes, but that's about that's about my limit. Well, that's all the uh, that's all the questions we had this time. Yeah, but look what at us is... go just a couple yeah. of weeks after uh, after the last uh, podcast. Of course, now it'll take us you know four weeks to edit it or something. <laughs> well, I I hope not. I, I'm very carefully avoiding saying anything, making any commitments about 2013. We have to just lead by example this That's year right. after we'll, after what happened last year. We'll take it as it comes. All yeah. right. Well, shall we bid our listeners adieu? Sure. Or I should say au revoir. Um, yes, adieu is, you know. 
it's it's much too final. In theory, you only do that once, right? That's right. That's right. Well, as always, we we love to hear from you. We certainly do appreciate the uh, the questions that we receive from you. Uh, if you'd like to submit a question, send it to mrdns. That's Mr. DNS at ask dash Mr. DNS dot com, and we'll try to get to it as quickly as we can in an upcoming podcast. Uh, otherwise. Uh, Stay tuned. We hope to be back to you uh, relatively promptly with another podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.